All right. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Jonah. Okay, this morning we're going to, being that it's senior day, we're going to look at the life of a man that we can say truly experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Um, how many of your life, at times in your life, can you say, man, there's been really good, there's been some not so good, and there's just been some downright ugly stuff that's happened? All of us can say that, right, in our life. And that's what we're going to see this morning with Jonah. Our message point this morning is, what is so amazing about grace? When we think about grace, we can say that Jonah was a recipient of God's glorious grace, right? I mean, Jonah, without a doubt, was a recipient. Notice our first point this morning, and we're going we're gonna to walk through all four chapters together. We're not going to read every verse together, but we're going to kind of hit the highlights um, of, of most of this story with Jonah this morning. But notice our first point. It's this, the prodigal prophet. In verses 1 and 2, we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You know, Jonah was a prophet. He was a man chosen by God to speak on behalf of God to the people of God. Now, Jonah would also obviously be called to, to, to preach to the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites were a wicked, wicked group of people. You probably could say it would be a combination of, of Sin City meeting North Korea, and that would be Nineveh. It was a city of about 120,000 people, and it was just full of, of wretchedness. Ray Richard prayed, prayed, um, said this about Nineveh. He said, when God said Nineveh was wicked, he wasn't kidding. They had a reputation for cruelty that is hard to fathom in our day. Their, their specialty was brutality. When their armies captured a city or a country, unspeakable atrocities would occur. Things like skinning people alive, decapitation, mutilation, ripping out the tongues. Ancient records from Syria boast of this kind of cruelty as a badge of courage and power. So to say that Nineveh was wicked would be an understatement, wouldn't it? There are going to be times in our lives... When the Lord is going to call us to go to places that we may not want to go, right? For, for Jonah, that place was Nineveh. Jonah clearly thought that he was too good for Nineveh, and, and, and he also thought that the people of Nineveh were too bad for God. And so this is where that contention really um, springs up here. And so we see here that, that the Lord calls Jonah... But what does Jonah do? Jonah runs. In verse 3 we read, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, Jonah is not just attempting to avoid Nineveh, is he? He's running from God. God said go. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. So he is fleeing um, Nineveh, and he's also fleeing the very presence of God. And, and as we continue reading in in. in Verse 3, we read, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, Joppa would be a port city off of the Mediterranean Sea. And we continue reading and, and see, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You have heard the saying, You can run, but you cannot hide. That right there can be said of Jonah. Jonah tried to get away on a Mediterranean cruise. He tries to board the Carnival or the Royal Caribbean. I'm sure the first thing he does, man, is he hits the buffet. That's what you do whenever you go on a cruise. You hit the buffet, and then he goes and he tries to find his his room. He goes down into the belly of that ship, and he finds him a nice, comfortable place. And what does he do? He goes to sleep. And, And while he is sleeping... The, the winds pick up, and they're so strong, we just read, that the boat is, 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 is in danger of breaking apart. Again, you can run, but you cannot hide from God. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. God, we can't escape his presence. And that is clear when we look at the life of Jonah. The next we read that Jonah would be called out. In verse 7 we read, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So while Jonah is sleeping, the people were fighting for their lives and pointing fingers at each other, trying to figure out who it was that had angered the little G gods. And they cast lots, and the lot falls upon Jonah. When all of them claim their innocence, they turn to Jonah, the one man in that ship that was oblivious to the storm. What caused that storm to come? Jonah did, didn't he? It was his sin that caused that storm to come upon those men. He did not obey God, and he fled. How many times has your sin gotten you in trouble? probably too many for most of us in this room to count. How many times has your sin caused trouble for those that are around you? Again, probably more than we can account for because our sin not only affects us, but it affects everyone that is around us. And Jonah, um, and then in this story, we, we clearly see that to be the case. So as a result of all of this, what happens? Jonah is thrown overboard, isn't he? In verses 15 and 16, we read, So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea, sea ceased from his raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I love, I love what happens on, on that ship. These men throw Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea goes calm. And what do these men do? They bust out in worship, don't they? You remember what they were doing a, a few moments ago? They were trying to figure out who had angered the gods. They were trying to, to each search out their own individual gods to determine which one had made 
the, the gods mad. And then here we see when they throw Jonah overboard and they see the supernatural work of God in action, they begin worshiping the Lord and they sacrifice to the Lord as well. So, so, so these men are having this worship service, and, but Jonah, what is he doing? Man, he's left treading for his life, just waiting for that sea to swallow him alive. And that's exactly what happened. Jonah would be swallowed. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I think all of us in this room, and I've shared this with you before, that, that I was teaching a Bible club class at, at, at um, Wiley High School way back in the day, and, and the, the minister from the community that taught before me had taught all of the kids in that class that the story of Jonah was not true because they, she said that there was not a fish big enough to swallow a man alive. And so I had to correct all of her bad theology is what I had to do during that class. But, but I think all of us have, have run into people throughout our lives that have said stories in the Bible are not true. Stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel, or Jonah, or Noah. Um, we hear this all the time. Even some people that sit in our pews on Sunday mornings claim that the stories in God's Word are not true. You know who believed this story to be true? Jesus Christ did, didn't he? In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 12, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You know, there's going to be times in our lives that the Lord is going to call us to go and do something that we don't want to do. It may be that the Lord calls um, one of our young people to become missionaries in a foreign land. It may be out of this room that the Lord calls you to uproot your family and move to another city. You may lose your job and have to change professions, which cause you to have to move on. You may get sick or a family member may get sick that absolutely wrecks your world and causes you to uproot and move to another place. What we know in life is that storms will come, right? Storms are absolutely going to come. Some of those storms are called life. Some of those storms, though, come as a result of our disobedience. For Jonah, the storms that he was experiencing in his life were a direct result of his disobedience. Jonah would go from being a prodigal prophet to becoming a praying prophet. That's what I love about Jonah. We see a lot of evolution that occurs in his life. He'll, he'll, he's way away from God, and then he comes close to God. And we see that here with the praying prophet. I'm pretty sure that if you were swallowed by a giant fish, you would probably become a praying person, person as well, right? Wouldn't you think so? I mean, here's what we know from this story. Any place can become a, play, a praying place. Any place can become a house of worship. The church can be a, a, a house of worship. Our schools can be houses of worship. Your own home can be a house of worship. And in the belly of a well, 
or a giant fish can also become a place of worship. When prayer is not first, though, notice what happens. We are left in desperation. Jonah cries out, saying in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah recognizes that the fish that swallowed him came from the Lord. And he also recognizes that the only way out of the belly of that fish is for the Lord to deliver him. And in the midst of this moment Jonah has with the Lord, he, he, he calls out to God for repentance, doesn't he? In verses 3 and beyond we read, For you cast me into the deep, and this is Jonah's prayer, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped about my head, and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You know what Jonah does here? Jonah owns his sin, doesn't he? He does not blame the sailors for him being in the belly of that fish. He does not blame God for being in the belly of that fish. He cries out and he asks the Lord to forgive him. All of us need to remember this. We can't play the blame game as we go throughout life. We can't blame everyone else for our current situation. We must own our mistakes. Isn't that right? Don't you agree with that? How many times have you tried to play the blame game and point your finger at somebody else for the situation that you find yourself in? we got to own our mistakes. That's exactly what Jonah did. And so his repentance would turn into confession. In verses 7 and 8, we read, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah experienced God in the belly of that fish, didn't he? He has a holy moment. He turns um, his heart in, from a heart of desperation, from a heart of hardness, into a heart of worship. I, I, I love that. He has gone from running to worshiping the Lord and acknowledging the goodness and the greatness of our God. Folks, no one compares to the God of the universe. No one can save you from the raging waters that, that, that often stir around us other than our great God. Turn to the Lord, not as your last resort, but first, right? You know what happens when you turn to him lastly, but we also know what happens when we turn to him first. Notice what, what we see here. Jonah will surrender. In verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What Jonah does next is Jonah owns his mission. He recognizes the calling of God upon his life, and he, and, he, and he recognizes that if God delivers him from the belly of that fish, then he is going to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites as the Lord had instructed him to do to begin with. He's ready if given the opportunity to go. Following his confession and his surrender, we see God's glorious grace on full display. In verse 10, we read, And the Lord spoke to the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. After three days and three nights, the Lord commanded that giant fish to vomit. And, and, and as I was reading and studying, some say that the, the, the word here is more projectile vomiting. I know that that's a little bit more than you can stomach this morning. But the Lord didn't just kind of open up the mouth, apparently, and allow Jonah just to kind of walk out. It was more of a chunk onto dry ground moment for Jonah. And we don't know where Jonah came ashore. Um, You know, most likely it was probably close to where he um, boarded that ship to begin with. But I love this story. God did not give up on Jonah just like he will not give up on any of us in this room. We may run, we may try to hide, but God is always pursuing after us. Please don't ever give up on yourself, okay? Notice um, next we see um, Jonah is going to become the preaching prophet. Never forget this, God is a God of second chances, In verse 1 of chapter 3, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. We are going to make mistakes in life. Sometimes we think our mistakes disqualify us from life. They don't disqualify us because we serve a gracious God that can forgive us of our sins. We have a promise here in Scripture that God will forgive us and God will restore us when moments like this occur. And then next we see Jonah's obedience. We read, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Now three days' journey in breath, um, Again, we don't know exactly what that means, but some say that from one end of the city to the other end of the city, it could have taken three days for a person to journey by foot. So it was a massive city is what it was. But, but when given this second chance, Jonah goes. Notice Jonah's message next. In verse 4 we read, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah walks for one day through this city, and he comes to a point where the Lord says, preach this message to the people. And did you notice the message that Jonah preached? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight-word sermon right there. In Hebrew, I read that it is a four-word sermon. Can you imagine, after eight words preached, four words preached, 120,000 people repented their sins, and a revival busted out across that city. Now, some of you are like, man, I wish you would preach an eight-word sermon or a four-word sermon. Here's the deal. If the Lord ever gives me an eight-word or a four-word sermon, you'll be the first to hear it. Okay, I promise you that every single one of us in this room has a word that needs to be proclaimed to this world. You know what that word is? Jesus saves. Say that with me this morning. Jesus saves. All of us, when the time comes and those you are doing life with, 
come to you feeling like there is no hope and no way, let them know that Jesus saves. Let them know that Jesus is the way. When you encounter someone that has lost the will to live, or someone that is going through a divorce or some atrocity in their lives, let them know that Jesus is the answer. When someone loses a loved one or at the, at the literal end of their rope, point them to Jesus. You and I exist to know God and to make him known, right? That was what Jonah was created to do as well. Jonah tried to run from God, but God wouldn't let him run. God had a message that needed to be delivered, and Jonah was the man that God had set apart to do that. There's a message that needs to be delivered to those outside the doors of this church, and guess what? You and I are the men and women that God has created to deliver that message. What happens next after this four-word, eight-word sermon? Once again, the people experience revival. We see here that Nineveh repents. In verse 10, we read, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God forgave the people for their wretchedness. What does that tell us? That there is no sin that you have committed that, you, that is beyond the forgiveness of God. Remember at the beginning of this message what we said about the Ninevites, how wicked they were, the atrocities that they would perform um, when they would pillage the land. God forgave those people of their wretchedness, and God can forgive us of our sins as well. He gave them new hearts, a new purpose, a new song, and a new life. That is what he can do for all of us in this room as well. You know, I, would, I wish I could say that's the end of the story. I wish I could say that, that Jonah would, would go down in history as being one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the face of this earth. I wish I could say that he lived out his happily ever after, but he didn't, did he? We know the rest of the story. This prodigal prophet who turned into a praying and preaching prophet would become a pouting prophet, wouldn't he? In verse 1 of chapter 4, we read, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Think about that for just a moment. 120,000 people have just repented of their sins and turned to God. This preacher that stood before all of those people and preached that message, most preachers man, they would be like doing backflips. Like Justin had said that, that Sarah, if she saw somebody um, accept Christ at camp, she just jumps up and goes, hallelujah. I mean, that's what most of us would do, but that's not what Jonah did. Jonah has a pity party right there on the spot, and, and he isn't happy with, with, with what's going on. How many of you have ever pouted over something that you did not like? Raise your hand. All of us have. I had the opportunity on Friday night to go to a baseball game, um, a, a high school baseball game. It was, it was a, um, Frisco Wakeland was playing Corsicana and, and went out to this baseball game. And it's the bottom of the sixth inning. Bases are loaded. There's two outs. Batter comes up, and I think it was, I think I turned to Danny, and I, I was like, man, this, or no, to, to Larry Sherman, he was, he was sitting beside me. I think I turned to him and said, um, man, this is a dream moment. Base is loaded, full count, and, and you're up to bat. Well, this kid, 
he, he swings and he hits a towering fly ball. I mean, it's like a major league fly ball. Most high school kids are not going to catch that ball. Well, the ball goes up and the ball comes down and that player loses the ball. He, 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 he turns around, he picks up the ball and he looks and that batter is still standing at home plate with the bat in his hand watching the play. Runners have already run, rounded third base coming toward home. Two runners score, but because that batter was having a pity party and didn't run to first, the third baseman picked up that ball, threw the ball to first base, batter was out, runs didn't count. I forgot to say the score was two to one, and the team batting was losing. So they would have gone ahead three to two if that batter did not have a pity party right there on the spot. So what happened? That, that batter walks off the field, Players come by him at him and just yell, no telling what they said. The coach um, looks at him, and there's no telling what that coach said to him, but I promise you it probably wasn't the, the nicest thing. Well, Jonah, man, he witnesses a glorious moment, but yet he pouts. So we see Jonah's anger in verses 2 and, 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 and 3 here. You know, it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this why I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and, a merc and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That just causes me to want to shake my head when I read that. Because what is Jonah saying here? God, I know you're gracious, and I know that if I was to preach the word for you, revival would bust out. That's why I ran and fled toward Tarshish. All kinds of messed up, isn't it? So we see Jonah's anger. We also see Jonah's plea, and, and we read here in 3 and 4, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well? to be angry. Jonah is fed up. He goes outside, he finds him a seat, and he just wants to die right there on the spot. What does God do? You know the rest of the story. He provides a, 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 a weed. That weed provides covering for Jonah. He, 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 he gets a moment of reprieve. Then the Lord provides a worm, and that worm just eats that weed away. There goes his, his covering. What does the Lord do next? There's a giant um, east wind and a scorching heat that comes down, and Jonah again will go in and have himself a little pity party and, and cry out to God and be mad at God, and then God will put Jonah in his place and, and basically um, ask Jonah, who do you think you are to question me? 120,000 people were in desperate need of salvation, and the Lord provided that salvation. Um, you know, this is a great um, kid's story, isn't it? Um, this is a great story to share um, in kids' church, share um, around our dinner tables, but oftentimes what we do is we live, leave out chapter 4 because we really don't know what to do with chapter 4. Well, chapter 4 is important. Because there's going to be moments in our lives that we too are going to have a pity party because we don't like someone. We, 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 we don't like how they look, how they talk, what, what's going on with them. There will be times in life when things don't make sense. 
There are going to be times that our students experience, and I know you've experienced, that someone gets the promotion that you were promised, or you experience failure, or you yourself run from God, or you act out in disobedience. You know, I want to read a story about, um, that Ernest Emerson wrote about John Newton. It says, how do you return to God? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, discovered grace and forgiveness through humility, honesty, and confession. Newton signed on with a slave ship leaving for Africa with its cargo. He was an experienced sailor, sailor and navigator, but his cursing and blaspheming turned hardened sailors' ears red. Soon the ship was caught in a horrible storm and was taking in water. The crew had to pump 24 hours a day to stay afloat. But the constant wind rocked the boat so dangerously that the sailors had to tie themselves to the deck to keep from being swept overboard. At one point, several of the crew tried to throw Newton overboard. They figured that God was punishing him like Jonah of the Old Testament. The captain declared that the only way the ship would make it to harbor safely was by God's power. He commanded everyone, including Newton, to pray. And Newton prayed, God, if you're true, make good your word, cleanse my vile heart. After four weeks of storms and constant brushes with death, the ship limped into an Irish port. John Newton, former free thinker, former slave trader and atheist, declared his faith in Jesus. He became a well-known preacher and writer, and he is the one that wrote the, the great hymn, Amazing Grace. You know, John Newton was a vile man, but God saved him right there on that ship. Let me challenge all of us not to avoid God's word, not to neglect our evangelistic responsibilities, not to deliberately disobey God's word. Do not run from God, call, God's calling upon your life. Be a person of prayer. Repent of your sins often. Return to the Lord when you stray. And run the race of life well and finish the life, life's race strong. And let's all change our world for Jesus. Um, let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if this morning, if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you um, to make that. And as we pray, I want us to, to pray for the, the Foot family. Um, I got word just before the service that David and Gina are rushing to the hospital because David's mom's not doing well. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, and just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. Father, I know it's one of those stories, Lord, where it has the good, bad, and ugly, Lord, that is indicative of our lives so often, Father, that we experience ups and downs, Father. Lord, we pray that the down moments that we experience in life will be corrective moments for us, moments that we turn back to you and, and vow never to return to them again. Father, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be their, the day of their salvation. Lord, we pray for David's mom right now as she is, is not doing well in the hospital. Lord, just um, comfort her and bring healing to her, her body as we know you can. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.